everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. And last night, Atlanta United was defeated by Orlando 2-1 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was just a really a blah game. A couple of the guys and I were standing waiting to get in the interview room afterward. And I was like, I don't know if I have any questions because I mean, we've seen this before a few times. And... You know, we try to get information out, but really it's just we, we've all seen this. We can explain it. We don't need a lot of context from the coaches and players for this one, and I think they kind of felt the same way based upon their answers and their energy in the, in the interview in the locker room. Afterward, summing up, Caleb Wiley started the scoring with kind of a – it wasn't a junk goal, uh, but it was it was a good play by Miguel Berry to win the ball back in Orlando's third – he chipped a pass to Machop Chol, who was able to get enough on the ball as Pedro Helice came out uh, that it was going to go into the goal, but it was kind of cleared off the line, but only to Caleb Wiley a few yards away who blasted a shot. And then, as was the case many, many times last season, but only the third time this season, Atlanta United quickly gave up a goal. This went on an Antonio Carlos header in the 25th minute. It was a, a set piece. It was from way, taken from way on Orlando's left, whipped across the top of the box, and Carlos just simply outjumped Santiago Sosa, who wasn't able to body him or, or keep him from, from getting there. And the pace of the pass and his ability to take a step and jump, it was just a bullet header past Guzan. I don't, I don't know. If he could have gotten anything on it, I don't know if he could have stopped it. And then Orlando scored again in the 60th minute, just a moment of, of bad disorganization by Atlanta United's defensive midfield and, and back five. I asked Pineda afterward. You'll hear what Pineda has to say along with Amar Sadich and Juanjo Parata. But while the goal scorer was kept on side, Pineda said the bigger problem was something else, and you're going to hear about that. And then I'll get into the voicemails, and I'll get into the mailbag. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. If this is your first time listening to us, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so that you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back. Here's Gonzalo Pineda. Well, first, before we get into Gonzalo Pineda, let's go into a couple of things of importance first. Atlanta United fell to seventh in the East with 35 points. It is three points away from fourth place Nashville. Pineda said for the first time last night, and one who Prada said for the first time last night, so I don't know if this was talked about in the locker room. It was said by President Garth Lagerway a long time ago. The team's goal is to finish fourth. 
What's odd about all this is before that New England loss on Wednesday, had Atlanta United won that game, it would have been in a tie for second in the East. But now after two consecutive losses, this is the weirdness of MLS, it's all the way down in seventh. Three points ahead of eighth place Chicago, five points ahead of DC United, six points ahead of 10th place Montreal. As it goes into League's Cup time, its next match will be against Miami. Uh, it's added a couple of new signings. I don't know if y'all have heard of any of them, so I'm not going to go into it. On July 25th down in Fort Lauderdale. Atlanta United won't play its next MLS game until August 20th at Seattle. So here's Pineda on if there were any similarities between the New England defeat and the Orlando defeat. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think uh, uh, we face a good team. Uh, credit to Orlando. Uh, I want to give them credit. They did a good job. Um, I think it was an even game. We, for moments when we had the ball, were dangerous. When they had the ball, they were dangerous. Uh, little details for me were the difference. Um, we were ahead this time, winning the game, and then in a set piece we concede a goal, um, uh, and and of course that that took a little bit of, away the momentum that we were getting right after scoring the goal. So we couldn't capitalize that advantage. Um, and then in the second half, I felt like we tried, we tried, and then in a play where our back line was disorganized or not cohesive, it was all over the place in some moment, not high enough, a lot of space in between the lines, and then a little discoordination there in the middle of, of the back line, and then they get the second goal. After that, we, we chased the game. I think we put enough pressure on them. We put them back, and then we had a couple half chances, a couple... Um, opportunities to score goals, but we were not able. They did a good job at defending that. Uh, I think it was a very different game compared to New England. And here's Pineda talking about the spacing that allowed that second goal. Well, I think first there was too much space in between our midfield line. The four were in line with our back line. They were around 20, 25 yards, I think. And that's number one mistake, I think, because then you allow technical players like Pereira to have a space in between the lines and from there he can hurt you at any moment uh, at any moment uh, and then I think the rotation um, you know Abraham was being aggressive uh, and then we need to close down so if the center back step up we need to protect his back and that's exactly what we didn't do so uh, Abraham press the guy in between the lines and then that gap was open and, and he turned on Purata uh, and unfortunately he couldn't make that but again for me mistake number one there was too much space in between the lines um, so again regardless of the formation we'll try to correct that be more compact it's been something we've been working a lot actually but but in that play we were not good now if you go back and you watch the replay there's two things or three things that stood out to me about this goal number one Mateo Cezetu's inability to stop Pereira from going forward. He tried to tackle him and just couldn't do it. We've seen this a few times this season. Cezetu's tackling ability is not great. So then as Pereira is chugging upfield, Orlando's left winger, whose name escapes me, started to make a run. So Lennon went with the player rather than risk Pereira just hitting a quick pass into that space. I don't blame Lennon for doing that. Pereira is a heck of a player. That's a pass he could make in his sleep. But at the same time, in doing so, it resulted in Duncan McGuire, the goal scorer, being left onside. So part of that also is the back three center backs 
not communicating or, or communicating loudly enough for everyone to know, hold the line, don't go, or just simply not recognize in the moment. It was it was just a series of errors, uh, not singling anybody out because the group failed to, to act in a coordinated manner. And that's the second goal. Now, Sadich, always a good guy talking to the media after a win or loss, talked about the fact that this was Atlanta United's third game in eight days and if that played a factor. I wouldn't say it was just fatigue. I think it's just, um, yeah, I mean, we had our heads locked on a, on a nine-point week we really, we really wanted. Um, yeah, going into New England, I, I really felt like the guys were motivated. And then I was conceding those two goals early, kind of just set us back a little bit. And then, uh, yeah, we started off on the front foot tonight, going up 1-0. Conceding a, a set piece isn't always fun. Um, but nonetheless, yeah, I think the guys just continue to push through. And, um, obviously, the second goal kind of came at a terrible time. And, um, yeah, we tried to put our foot on the gas, keep going, create chances. And, uh, yeah, it just wasn't our night tonight. And some of you may not like this answer, but he was asked about expectations on the League's Cup. we got to get ready for League's Cup. League's Cup's going to be a very big tournament. Um, of course, we have high expectations. This is Atlanta United. We want trophies. Uh, so we're going to go for it all in League's Cup. And then once MLS uh, resumes after that, I mean, I think we have 12 games remaining after that. We're going to have to put our foot on the throttle and, and try to get as many points as we can so we can get a home playoff game. Some of y'all have said you wish the team would just kind of ignore this and focus on the MLS playoffs. I don't think that's smart. Uh, you know, if you win League's Cup, you get a berth into the uh, Champions League, you get some money, you get prestige of a trophy. If there's a trophy to win, other than maybe the AmFam Cup, you got to go for it. So we'll say it is a winnable group. Cruz Azul's not playing well. Miami, of course, is going to have new players, got some really good players, some new players, but we'll see what happens. And, of course, Atlanta United on the road is never quite what you'd hope. And here's Juanjo Parata talking about that second goal. There was a transition moment that I think it was a very quick play. I I need to watch the the film and and I need to to look at what happened. Always a good guy to talk to the media, too, is Parata. And here's how to get the momentum back in the league's cup uh working i mean this is football we have to look forward we have to look at the film see what what we what we do well and what we what we did uh, what mistakes we did we have to improve them we have 10 days uh, for our revenge we have we want to to do a great job in, uh, in the league's cup that's the, that's the mindset. And then one of the things Penny talked about you heard earlier was just kind of fixing little things. And here's Parada talking about how hard it is to fix those little things. So hard because there are little things that maybe those things, uh, those little details uh, make the difference between a good team and a great team. So I think those details, we have to improve them. Uh, we have... Least cup uh, ahead and, and ten, 10 more games uh, of, the, of the regular season. And it's the time. It's, it's time for uh, it's time to fix those those details because we want to be on the top four of the, of the standings. That's our our first goal. And yeah, we have to to improve. 
he was also asked, what are the little things? And he, he couldn't explain because it's just, it, you know, it's just game mode moments. It's things that just happen so fast that instinct and training, I'm assuming, just kind of take over in most players. And sometimes it just doesn't. But that's because the other team is also trying to win. Something that some folks have difficulty understanding. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution has a special offer for our podcast listeners, but not hosts, only the listeners. We don't get this, so you should feel special. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. Now, don't bring cash to the Atlanta United offices in terms of 99 cents to try to pay for the paper. I don't, I don't even know if we accept cash like most people. But you can put it on your credit card. All you have to do is go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. We're going to get into the mailbag. We've got two voicemails, so thank y'all. 404-526-AJCP, 404-526-2527. And first, I want to say a thank you to Keith, who was kind enough in Foxborough. I was having breakfast in the hotel, and he walked up and introduced himself. Uh, it was really nice meeting you. I appreciate you being a, a subscriber to the podcast and a reader of the content. So thank you very much. Now, let's get to the first voicemail. Hey, Doug. It's Chad from Lawrenceville. That was really rough to watch our boys get beat at home. Uh, my question is, with all of these crosses that inevitably go over everyone's head, why isn't there a plan to have a weaker or a left mid or a right mid somewhere on the outside scoop up the ball that goes over everyone's head. I understand a lot of it's in the moment. It really seems like we would benefit from someone being able to scoop up that ball. also want to give Miguel Berry props for fighting for that ball to end up leading to the goal, although I still don't believe he's the strike we need. If it wasn't for him, this might have been a shutout for, uh, for, uh, for Orlando to give to Atlanta. Those are good points. Barry did fight hard to get that ball back. Uh, on that second goal. It was a really smart and interesting play to Chole, who was having a great game before he had to leave in the first half with an injury. He was probably Atlanta United's most effective player. He's a guy that gets a little stick, but when he gets on the field, he makes things happen, and, and you can't ask for more than that right now. The crosses. The crosses are, I don't know about every other team in Major League Soccer, but Atlanta United hits more crosses to the back post, and there's never anybody, or rarely, anybody there. And I don't know why. Because I've asked this of them. Yes, you're, they're supposed to be hitting the ball 
middle back post. So the expectation is there's going to be a teammate there, but rarely is that teammate there. It's a bizarre, bizarre thing. And I, I don't know why, but you do see a lot of crosses go all the way through. And this could be the norm in Major League Soccer. I don't know. It, you know, I watch a lot of Premier League. I watch a lot of Bundesliga and you don't see it nearly as much. Yeah. In- interesting points. Second voicemail. Doug is Brett from Inman Park. Derek Etienne has zero goals so far this MLS season, and Edwin Mascara has zero goals in his career as a professional player. They combined to play 79 minutes tonight. Tyler Wolf, who has four goals this season, didn't get off the bench. What's up with that? I was a little bit stunned that Wolf did not get in the game. He had started the previous two games. They're about to go give the, the guys are getting four or five days off. I thought for sure that Wolf would be brought on because he is like the team's third leading goal scorer behind Wolf. I mean, beside uh, behind Yakamakis and Almada. But instead, Mascara was brought on. You know, he he made some things happen, but there's just not a end product in the final third, which is kind of a consistency with Atlanta United signings. Uh, not all, but but a good bit. Etienne came on and, and didn't really have any impact on the game. Pineda said afterward that he's really not an attacking midfielder. He's really more of a winger. But I'm like, well, why didn't – I'm thinking, why didn't you bring Wolf in then? Because he has played that position. But it may be because Chol was hurt so early in the game, Pineda didn't think that Wolf could go the entire thing and he didn't want to make one sub and have to sub out the same player again. That would be my guess. We didn't get a chance to ask him. We were asking about some other things last night. I don't know what the answer is for Etienne Mosquera. I was skeptical of the Mosquera signing last season. And it's not a knock on him personally. Maybe he'll find something. But, you know, when a guy has, I think, more than 70 appearances now and he's yet to score a goal, I, I just I don't understand what was seen especially when it caused this under-22 logjam that Atlanta United found itself in. It's it's weird. Etienne, you know, coming off a career year in Columbus, we all thought, all of us thought he was going to be productive as a winger. And he, he just he hasn't. I, I can't pick out a single play that he made last night in 70-something minutes. And again, it's not a knock on him personally. He's a really nice guy. We enjoy talking to him in the locker room. But right now, there's just no end product in the final third. Pineda did say on Thursday or Friday, whenever we spoke Friday, that he thinks with Etienne, it's just once he scores one goal, he's going to score a handful of goals. But right now, it's looking like Atlanta United overpaid for a guy coming off of a career year in Columbus. And it's just not not working. And you know, I feel bad for Etienne. He's a pro. He wants to do well. And it's just not happening for him right now. We'll see what happens in these final games. Atlanta United's record is 9-7-8. and eight. It has 12 games left. So there's still plenty of chances. But right now, it's just it's not looking probable, which is a phrase I use a lot recently. But it's looking more, it's looking more or less probable than probable. On to the traditional questions. Nick, friend of the podcast, says, At the beginning of the season, Garth Lagerway, Stated the goal was a home playoff match or fourth in the new format, since everyone in the best of three round does get a home match. Looking at the remaining, he says, 10 MLS games, 
Am I losing my mind? Did I just say 12? Yeah, 10 MLS. I'm sorry, 10 MLS games. Should the team readjust its expectations to and give us a prediction? Well, they're only three points out of fourth. So that's, you know, that's not a lot to make up over 10 games. The problem for Atlanta United is its schedule is absolutely brutal. Absolutely brutal. You have to go to Seattle. So road game is hard enough. Going East Coast to West Coast is really, really hard. Home against Nashville, the team you're fighting to try to get that place. Then you get Cincinnati, which is going to win the Supporter Shield. Then you go to Frisco, which is never, ever, ever a fun place to go. That is the only place I've been since I've covered Atlanta United in which I wore shorts to cover the game because I walked out of the hotel in Frisco and the wind was so hot and it was so full of dirt that I said to myself, I'm going to die. Anyway, then they come home. They host Inter-Miami after Lionel Messi has had quite a little bit of time to adjust to his teammates and Gerardo Martino has had time to put in his tactics. Tough game, even though at home. At D.C. United, which is going to be fighting to make the playoffs and a place that Lenny United has never, ever played well. Home against Montreal, another team that's going to be fighting to make the playoffs. At Philadelphia, where Atlanta United is gets consistently spanked. Home against Columbus, which will likely be fighting with Atlanta United to try to get into that third or fourth playoff spot or third or fourth seed. And then at home against, or I'm sorry, and then on the road at Cincinnati, which will have likely have the supporter shield all locked up. But Decision Day games, Atlanta United has a spotty record in those. So it's very, very tough. Based upon the team's form, I don't think it's going to finish fourth. So there's your prediction. Chris, friend of the podcast, who says, As we enter a pause in the MLS season, knowing the results of League's Cup will have little to no impact on it, what coaches' jobs are in danger in Major League Soccer and which ones do you think will not save themselves? Does Lagerway state a goal of hosting a playoff game, but Pineda in danger if Atlanta finishes below fifth? No, it will not put Pineda's job in danger. And there's a simple reason. And I'm as guilty of this as anyone else. I've promoted this on this podcast. You know, at the beginning of the season, I looked at Atlanta United's roster and I thought, this is a roster that's as good as anybody in Major League Soccer. Now I look at the roster and think to myself, it has some holes. There are a lot of areas that need improvement. And it is tough to judge a coach if you don't give him the proper tools. And I don't think that Pineda yet has all the proper tools. I think they will make the playoffs. I don't think they'll finish as high as fourth, but I've been wrong about a lot of things, and I could be wrong about this. Will it result in the end of Boca Negra's job? I I, I don't know. You know, I've said that his accountability is win-loss records for me. If they make the playoffs, if they finish fourth or higher, I think he's going to be fine. If they finish as a low seed, you know, it'll result, I would think, in a tough conversation between Lagerway and Bocanegra about how can we fix this? What is the plan? Can we, can we do it together? Do we see eye to eye? I think they probably do, but we'll go from there. And that's not me calling for Bocanegra's job. It's just me trying to think like I'm president of Atlanta United and predict what he might do. As for other teams, well, a lot of teams have already made changes. Wayne Rooney doesn't appear like he's going to sign a contract to come back at D.C. Miami's already made a change. Toronto's already made a change. NYCFC, possibly Charlotte, 
likely. Red Bulls have already made a change. Montreal made a change at the beginning of this year. I don't see them changing coaches. You go to the other side, Colorado could make a change. The Galaxy, they fired their president. Portland can make a change from Savarese. Kansas City, if they don't make the playoffs, could finally make a change from Vermees. And he's he's been a great coach. Don't don't get me wrong about that. Adrian Heath's time may run out in Minnesota. So there you go. And then Chris continues, speaking of League's Cup, what are realistic expectations for it? Personally, I'm having a hard time getting excited about a tournament where it feels like we'll play three games and be done. How serious will teams take this tournament? Should we risk starters or play second or third teamers? I think the teams are going to take it somewhat seriously. I don't think they're going to take it truly seriously until they figure out if they get out of the group stage. The problem for the teams are there are no league games to kind of look forward to. It's five. It's basically five weeks before each of them play another league game. So you might as well go ahead and throw everything you can into League's Cup. Now, if I were an MLS manager, I'm obviously not. I'm just the best-looking sports writer in the history of sports writers. I would spend like half the training sessions scouting League's Cup stuff, doing whatever you would do for the League's Cup, and spend the other half on making whatever tweaks I want to make formation-wise, personnel-wise, for the remaining league schedule. I used to joke a long time ago when Florida State first joined the ACC that you know if it were a 10-game conference schedule or an eight-game conference schedule, Florida State probably only had to scout, actually prepare for one team each season, and that was Clemson. The rest of the time, it could just do whatever it wanted to during practices because it had so much more talent than everybody else. It was just going to roll them. That's kind of the approach I would take toward League's Cup. I would just work and work and work on whatever I want to do for the league matches and then spend you know the final day working on League's Cup stuff and just go from there. And if I make it out of the group stage, then I'll take it slightly more seriously and just kind of keep doing that until you're done. He continues, does Chris. Early in the season, it felt like Amada might break the MLS outgoing transfer record, but after games like last night, you wonder if teams in Europe want to pay that much for someone that inconsistent. In fact, I sometimes think Almada might still be with the team next season. Do you think he'll still be sold and for more or less than Almiron? Almada wasn't as effective last night, but also keep in mind, third game in eight days, third start in eight days. He's played a lot of minutes in the past eight days. When you get tired, sometimes you just don't even realize you're tired, but you can kind of recognize I'm not doing things I would normally do. And he still almost tied the game with a fantastic free kick and stoppage time. That's why he stays on the field, because he is capable of those moments. And frankly, no one else on Atlanta United is right now. They're just not. It's Almada and some other guys who are trying hard, but just don't have that same quality. And you need some more of those guys that have that quality. Yakamakis came off the bench, but he wasn't effective um, other than getting another kind of silly yellow card. As for whether Almada will still be with the team, it is very strange that there are no verified rumors slash reports of teams interested in Almada. And here's the simple math of this, and I might do a blog about this later. Because of Almada's body size, he's not probably going to work in the Premier League. He's probably not going to work in Germany, which are bigger, stronger players for the most part, up and down. 
1 through 18, 1 through 20 teams. So that leaves Spain, that leaves France, that leaves Italy, if you want to talk about the Big Five. And I'm not even sure you can put France in the Big Five anymore. There's one team in France that can pay $30 million, or that would pay $30 million. That's PSG, and he's not going to PSG. So then you get to Spain. There's a few teams that could probably pay $30 million. And you get to Italy, of which there's probably four or five teams that could pay $30 million for a player. So really, if Atlanta United values him at $30 million, which I think is a pretty decent valuation with inflation and potential and age, etc., there's probably only 10 teams in Europe that can buy him. So then it just becomes a and not really even a need, more of a want for those clubs because I don't think you're going to drop Almada into the starting lineup and he's just going to start making a difference. So that is kind of the math to me on Almada's future. So yes, I think you still could see him with Atlanta United next season. He's under contract through 2026, I think, with Messi and Busquets and Alba and, and potentially others coming because of those three guys coming. Almada may look at MLS and say, hey, this is not really that bad of a place to be. I can still develop here. I can work on some things. I can get stronger and then see what happens. I can get some more chances to play for Argentina and be impactful. And then his fourth question, do you find it odd how quickly the fan base went from protesting the signing of Almada to treating him like a club legend they don't want to lose? Or is it just me? Nothing I find surprises me anymore, particularly on social media where opinions are always more important than facts. Pat says, friend of the podcast, I'm sure Chol going out in the first half put a wrench in Pineda's plans, but the one move of concern is bringing Mosquera instead of Wolf. It seems one of our issues last night was not getting a position to score on crosses, and that has been his trademark of late. Hope the break serves the team and all of us well. That's a really good point, Pat. We addressed it a little bit earlier but, yeah, one thing Wolf is good at doing is getting to the back post and hitting and scoring from inches away. Yeah. And I don't want to pound on Mascara anymore. I feel bad for doing it earlier, but just facts are facts. Alan says, what do you make of the pattern of away teams not coming out on time for the second half? And has Pineda commented on it? I suppose the ref just isn't going to blow the whistle, but it seems like it should be at least a yellow for the bench. So, yeah, a lot of y'all were, were making quite a big deal about this last night, and I pointed it out on Twitter that it feels like almost a spinal tap thing that other teams are getting lost in the stadium before they can find their way to the field. I need to review what the rules actually are. I don't know if – so and just keep this in mind. Just because Atlanta United is outstanding on the field, it doesn't mean the other team has to until the time expires, and then the other team should be there. Last night, the time expired and still no Orlando, and then they come walking out of the tunnel. I don't know if the rule is they have to leave the locker room by like the end of the fi- or the 10 minutes or 15 minutes, whatever it is, or they have to be on the field at the end of the 10 to 15 minutes. I don't think I've ever seen a card given for a team being late to return uh, for the start of the second half. I need to, to do some Googling on that. And no, we didn't ask Pineda about that. It just seemed kind of superfluous to what was going on. Adam says, apologies. Hold on. I need to make sure if this is the. Yep. This is the question of the day. 
Hey, it's good to hear the ding dong again. Ding dong. Adam says, Adam, friend of the podcast, I'm hot, I'm tired, and I'm angry. So I'm not at my best right now. Well, I'm in the middle of my first cup of coffee, Adam, so I'm not either. Coffee's up. I hate that Atlanta continues to fail to have a plan B when Almada is largely neutralized by physical play. The Stripes need more players who can receive the ball and get it forward quickly rather than pausing, passing back, etc. That would help alleviate the bullying Tiago receives every match. Also, credit where due. 30 odd minutes after our group was debating if Barry is the most useless player to don an Atlanta kit, he had a moment of magic leading to the goal. Given everything else I'm feeling negatively, I'll throw this out. Can we all acknowledge the contribution Steve Craig has made to our game day experience? His trademark calls and delivery are near perfection to me. We're lucky to have him. That's a nice shout out to Mr. Craig, who I enjoyed listening to on uh, 99X. I think he came back this week with the College of Musical Knowledge. Thanks also for your coverage and contributions. I'm now going for a couple of Long Islands. <laughs> well, I hope that you uh, had a designated driver or were able to walk home first off. Uh, you know, Atlanta United tries to have plan Bs for when Almada is largely neutralized, but you know he is the only designated player on the field consistently for Atlanta United right now. He's the only difference maker. The other guys, Brooks Lennon, you know, he, he had a decent game offensively. Chop was having a great game before he got uh, – he, he said his, his foot got stuck in the turf a little bit. He also got stepped on, but his foot got stuck in the turf, and that kind of made his ankle wonky. He was walking fine last night. He was rocking a bucket hat in the locker room, which was uh, neat to see. He's such a good guy. But there's only so much you can do. And, you know, looking at Twitter this morning, a lot of y'all are, are complaining about Pineda. I mean, he's not – he, he, he's not a, a guy, a puppet master. He, he can't go out there and move the players like a video game and put them exactly where they should be. They do train for these things. But when the whistle starts, there's not much Pineda can do. It, it's just it's not like American football where you get a reset every couple of seconds and start a new play and get a chance to do it right again. It's just not. It's a live, flowing game. That's what makes it. To me, you know, one of the more fun sports in all of sports because it is pretty much all on the players. As Eric Winalda says, players win games, coaches lose games, referees ruin games. It's all on the players. And they train, they work on these things, they drill them in, but then the whistle blows and, you know, you get tired or, or something happens and you switch off for a half second or the other team Again, it's trying to win. They're trying to put you in positions to mess up. It's, it's how it is. Yeah. And, you know, and for people who say we're not asking tough questions, particularly one person in general, if you want to send me questions, I'll tell you if they're tough. I don't think you know what you're talking about personally. But that's neither here nor there. All right. The team's off next week. We won't have a podcast until – Probably Monday the 24th to preview the Inter-Miami Leagues Cup game. Unless there is some major, major news, and I don't anticipate any major, major news. Could get a signing. They've already signed Mayumba. There could be a winger. Could be a, a backup striker to, to challenge Barry because uh, it's clear Yakamakis. 
he's not going to be able to play every game. It's just his playing style is not going to result in that. He is effective when he plays, but he's just not going to play every game. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Roberts and AJC. Hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all take care. AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years and I am still amazed at how rich the city's black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that black people might want to know about. Like historically black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Yeah.